Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Today is All Saints Day, and, and saints are people who believe in Jesus. They are called holy by God through the forgiveness of sins. Saints have faith in Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews, we hear faith defined in this way. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is true. We believe in what we cannot see. This is what it means to be a Christian to believe in something you cannot see, taste, touch, or have any physical experience with. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. Faith is not empirical. It deals with things that cannot be deduced from nature or science or anything like that. And yet we are called to this belief. Often, in spite of ourselves, God works faith in us. St. Thomas saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. He touched the pierced side. He felt the wounded hands. And then Thomas made the great confession of Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. Thomas saw Jesus. And what does Thomas say? Or Jesus say to Thomas after that, he says, have you believed because you have not seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas saw the risen Christ, but then there came a time when Thomas did not see Jesus anymore. And in that time, Thomas would suffer. Thomas would mourn. Thomas would deal with sin and temptation. Thomas would face death for that same confession he made before Jesus the day of his resurrection. We do not see Jesus. We have not beheld the risen Christ. And on top of that, we have not seen the kingdom of heaven and all of its glory. We have not been relieved of all the pain and the sorrow that sin brings. We still sin every day. We still suffer. We hurt others. We get hurt. And so what are we to do with all of this? God calls us saints. Yet we don't feel saintly all the time. When at the end of the day, all we can rely upon is the stuff we cannot see. It's the stuff we do not experience. It's the stuff that we can't fully know about this side of heaven. And that's a hard question. What do we do with all of that? Because this forces us to realize something on ourselves, about ourselves. If we're left on our own reason, if we're left to our own experience, if we're left to our own fallen understanding of things, there would be no Christians. There would be no church. There'd be no hope. There'd be no forgiveness. There'd be no mutual consolation of the saints because there would be nothing. There'd be no saints. And we would arrogantly approach all things that pertain to God as unreasonable, as worthless, because they would be contrary to what we experience in this life. That guy named Jesus is God. That guy who died for all my sins. That guy who makes me holy. Or that I'm going to a place where there's no death, where there's no pain, where there's no hunger, no suffering, and I'm going to worship him forever? 
Well, that sounds crazy. But it's true. And against all odds, we believe it. And that means that our faith is something that stands outside of us. It's a gift that comes beyond us. It's something that God delivers to us by the power of his Holy Spirit as he divinely intervenes in each of our lives. The Spirit causes us to believe against all unbelief that there is a Christ who forgives sinners. He causes us to believe the words of Jesus when he says, The Spirit of truth will come and he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. It's what drives St. Paul to write, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so what are we to think of all this? Well, we're to remember who we are. We are the people that the Holy Spirit has called to saving faith in spite of ourselves, in spite of our fallenness, in spite of our weakness. We are those who believe in the risen Christ, who trust that his death is for us, and who put no hope and the things of this world. We simply trust in the promises that we have had handed down from us, even though they are completely unbelievable. That is what it means to be called a saint, to believe in Jesus in spite of yourself, to believe that Jesus has made you holy in spite of who you are, in spite of how you fall short, in spite of your sin, in spite of your experience, in spite of your suffering, we believe that God calls us saints. We believe what God says about us, and we believe what God says about himself. So as we look at our scripture readings today, we see that God makes claims about his saints. First, we see in 1 John that God calls us his children. As it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So God says that he's a loving Father, and we are dear sons and daughters to him. Yet sometimes it can feel as if he's an absent Father, that we're somehow estranged from him, and that he stands somewhere off in the distance and is somehow unconcerned with us. Because what do we do? We look at our lives. See, I know a little bit, very minute about, about fatherhood. I'm not a perfect father, but I do know that fathers need to be there. They need to show up for their kids. Children need to know that their father is present. But sometimes our sinful flesh likes to pull some wool over our eyes and play a trick on us. It tries to tell us that God is not concerned with us. It's he's in heaven, we're on earth, he's distant. And we are made to believe something that's not true. We're made to believe that he doesn't care about what happens to us in our lives in this world. If he did, well, we wouldn't be so messed up. He would intervene more often. If I see my toddler running up to lick an electrical socket, well, I run over and stop him. Why doesn't God do the same? Why does he allow bad things to happen to me? 
Why does he let me mess up all the time? Why does he allow sin to be so painful and terrible in its influence over me? If it were all true, if I really was his child, why am I such a sinner? Why do I experience death? Why am I sad? And the answer is that before God, you're not a sinner. You are no longer a sinner in the eyes of our Father in heaven. Before God, you bear the image of Christ, the perfect Son of God. You've been baptized. You believe in Jesus. St. Paul says in Galatians, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have been clothed in Christ and his righteousness. And when God the Father looks at you, he sees you as one who has been forgiven and relieved of all of your sin. He sees the righteous work of Jesus in you, and it covers your entire life. And in that, he calls you one of his holy ones, one of his saints. And the battle against sin, it's already ultimately won for you. You're called a child of God, and so that's what you are, in spite of yourself. And so what do we say about all those struggles what of the suffering that we experience within the body of Christ? What of our experiences with sin? What about the pain of death? What about this evil world that we live in? Why do the children of God have to endure so much pain? And the answer is, though we may not see it, we may not understand it, God is guarding his children. He's chastening. He's strengthening. He is building that faith that joins us to him as beloved children. St. Peter puts it this way. He says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. And in this you rejoice, though for now a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this means that as we endure sin, strife, struggle, warfare, spiritual attack, Conflict within, conflict from outside, pain and death. These things are not happening because our Heavenly Father is distant and absent from our lives. Rather, they happen under the loving and careful supervision of our dear Heavenly Father. He's not abandoning us, He's strengthening us. He chastens those whom He loves to preserve them for their inheritance in heaven. To be called a child of God does not mean that we're freed from all suffering on this side of heaven, but it does mean that our suffering is never vain. And while we may never have a full picture, may I never know exactly why some things happen, I know God's faithful. He keeps his promises. He will preserve us in saving faith. And no amount of earthly struggle is going to remove the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. Nothing we experience in this life can take my name out of the book of life because we belong to our Father and we belong to Him because we're bound to His Son. And that's 
why we can take those words that Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5 as words of great comfort. Jesus speaks the words of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are you. As we look at what Jesus calls blessed, it doesn't seem like the blessings are flowing. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and slander you. That seems like a curse. Depression, sadness, death, weakness, humiliation, starvation for righteousness, persecution, and slander. These things are not pleasant to live through. Yet Jesus says as we endure these things, we are blessed. Why? How does he say such a thing? Well, it's because of who he is. It's because of what he's doing. In Isaiah, we hear what Jesus will do for the suffering as the suffering servant of God. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus has come to suffer and die for sinners. He endures all of these forms of suffering for the sake of sinners. And as he endures the cross, he is forsaken by God and man, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he endure that sort of torment? Why does he suffer like this? Well, to bring an eventual end to all sorrow and suffering. This is the promise that is declared by Christ To those who are poor in spirit, they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Those who endure persecution will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so when the children of God endure these things, we endure with hope. We are not without joy in the midst of our sorrow. As St. Paul writes in Romans 5, he says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That brings us to Revelation 7. Where we see the end of all tribulation that our Christian faith hopes for. We see the saints of God gathered around the throne of heaven in all of their multitudes. And here's what the text says about him. It says that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What image are we given? The poor in spirit receive their kingdom. Those who mourn are truly and fully comforted. 
The meek have received more than they can imagine. Those who are starved for righteousness are perfectly surrounded by righteousness. The persecution is put to an end. Slander has given way to the praise of the Lamb who was slain. Death has been overcome with life. Sin has been abolished. There is no possible perception that God and man are estranged from each other as they live in that perfect uh, fellowship. No toil, no suffering, no more tears. That is what the Christian heart yearns for, an earnestness and faith. This is the unseen thing that we saints of God are certain of and hope for. And while this reality seems far-fetched, that's the reality that you live in today. It's not just a distant reality that's not yet, but this morning you are gathered here as the saints of God. And we come here to find relief from the great tribulation of this world. We are clothed together in the robes of Christ's righteousness. We are gathered around the throne of the Lamb. And we join with all the saints in heaven and laud and magnifying the name of Christ, who is the Lamb who was slain to save us. We eat and we drink. We are fed by his word. We receive the forgiveness of sins. The Lamb of God is serving as our shepherd. He's wiping away the tears from our eyes. He is comforting those who mourn. He is filling those who are poor in the spirit. He's refuting the slanders of the devil, the world, and our fallen flesh. We have this now, if only by faith. We truly have it. We live by faith in what God has worked for us in making us into his saints. We rejoice in those who have it now by sight. We rejoice in our brothers and sisters in Christ who see what we do not see. St. Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. Today, everything described in Revelation 7 is yours. The comfort, the righteousness of God, the comfort of a Savior who wipes every tear from your eyes, the relief from the pain and suffering and struggle and internal angst that sin brings, it is yours by faith. And the day will come as we cling to this faith that it will be yours by sight. Today we rejoice in what we cannot see. By faith we know that these things that we cannot see are ours even in the midst of sorrow, in the face of death, as we mourn, as we struggle, as we are hurt, as we hurt others. We have the kingdom of God. And those who mourn, in this reality, this promise, those who mourn, they're comforted. The poor in spirit, the hungry, the sorrowful, and the persecuted, they are blessed. And as we live as the people of God, we look forward to the day when we will join those who have gone before us in seeing those things which we have hoped for. We rejoice for those who have died in the faith. Because they no longer hope for what they cannot see. All their hopes are satisfied. All their longing for the kingdom of heaven is fulfilled. We will follow them 
just as they have followed Christ into this heaven and into this promise. My dear friends, you are part of God's church militant on earth. The devil will throw every assault he can at you. He wants to separate the ranks. He wants to break hearts. He wants sin to be so overwhelming that we can't see anything outside of it. The word of God shatters those attacks. The death and resurrection of Jesus makes those assaults against God's militant church into nothing. Because he says, your sins are forgiven you. I have made you into my children. I have shaped and formed you by my word, through the work of my promised Holy Spirit, into my heavenly saints. Rejoice in that promise. Have hope in what lies ahead of you. Because the devil, the sin that we bear, and this fallen world will not prevail against that word that gives us faith. Let us pray. Gracious God in heaven, preserve us in this true and saving faith that Christ has died for sinners. Help us to cling to the hope of everlasting life. Help us to know that even now as we suffer, the everlasting is ours in Christ because you have called us to be your saints. We thank you, Lord, for those whom you have called ahead of us out of the darkness of this world into the light of heaven and grant that we follow after them into your eternal presence. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. We rise.